0: You're listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders. I'm Henry Tetley. I help connect businesses with tech talent. And today, I'm your host. Welcome to the latest episode of the Evolution Exchange. It's great to have you ladies here today. Um, So today's topic, we're going to be talking about women in tech. So obviously, a very important topic in um, in this this day and age, and um, there's a lot of um, a lot of valuable insights that I'm sure you'll be able to share with us today. And as I've mentioned to you uh, to you all um, individually, really looking forward to to this one. And it's been something that I've um, I've been longing to to do. So uh, really appreciate you you guys coming today. So uh, let's kick off into the intros. Kate, would you like to uh, to start?
1: Yeah. Hi, Henry. Um, uh, my name's Kate. Clearly. Uh, I'm the Head of Technology uh, here at Dovetail, and we have the purpose of improving the quality of everything, which is a a lofty goal, but um, it makes it really exciting to show up at work every day and think about how we might achieve that.
0: Awesome. Cheers, Kate. Over to yourself, Emma.
1: Thanks, Henry. Hello,
2: everybody. I am Emma. Um, I'm a Director of Engineering at Quilla. Um, so we deal with making beautiful proposals. Um, yeah, and so thank you for inviting me. That's good to be here.
0: No worries. Great to have you. And Beth, over to yourself.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm Beth. I'm a product leader and a problem solver. Um, I'm also co-founder and CPO of Fobo. Uh, Fobo, you may not have heard of because it's a very new startup. Uh, we are a SaaS platform that is simplifying and connecting wholesale trade, uh, and our broader vision is extending to unlocking data to reduce food waste and emissions um, and ultimately yeah, less food in landfill fewer trucks on the road is good for everyone. Um quite new to the startup space but I'm like a recovering corporate uh, and former consultant uh, so have had experience I suppose in like um, quite typically male-dominated industries uh, and I also really like defining myself outside of just my work so I'm a partner, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, uh, I'm a soon-to-be first-time auntie uh, and I think I'm more nervous than my sister about that. Um, I identify as a woman, uh, and I'm also a very mediocre weightlifter. So that's just a little bit about me. Uh, looking forward to yeah, hearing more today.
0: Awesome. Cheers, Beth. Uh, as I say, thanks, for, for joining us, ladies. It's uh, it's great to have you here. Um, so the the first um, first question that we're going to kick off with then um, is so. Is women in tech a pipeline problem or is it a retention problem? Kate, I know you've you got a little bit of data uh, that you're able to to share with us, but um, would you like to uh, to kick us off? Yeah, sure. I mean, clearly it's both,
1: right? Um, but uh, I think that we do ourselves and women in in the um, STEM fields and in our industry uh, a disservice if we focus uh, too much on the pipeline problem because it's very easy if we focus on the pipeline to feel dispirited and oh hey there's nothing we can do about that um we we're just uh constrained in how we can grow the um, gender diversity of our teams by the fact that there are simply not enough women going into university coming out of university or seeking alternative pathways into technology whereas the I prefer to focus on the retention problems. I mean, women now, um, in certainly in the US make up uh, 57% of the workforce uh, and, uh, and yet the representation of women in technology is less than 30%. And of that 30%, more than 50% of those women... Uh, quit the technology industry before the age of 35 and by the time they get to mid-career then that has increased to 56% of women who have entered the technology industry have left by mid-career and that's something that we can actually um, meaningfully affect change in because we're if we're getting women into industry and yet more than half of them don't stay in tech until the end of their career, then clearly there there are issues with um, with the workplace, with with how we're supporting them, how we're growing them, and they are interesting and achievable problems to think about and and deal with. Uh, and so it's at our peril if we focus on the numbers game and try and get women in the door and go great, I've got a gender um, representation of women in in my team, I can rest on my laurels. That's not enough. We have to focus on how we make sure the women in our teams feel supported, valued, that they can see a career pathway for themselves in the organisation by seeing senior women in the roles in their career pipeline. So that, that um, how we make the way the whole organisation behaves, collaborates, um, is supportive and inclusive, so that women actually feel like they belong. Because it's that lack of belonging
0: that leads to women leaving the industry in droves. Absolutely. I mean, from from those stats, it's um, it's, it's quite alarming, really, isn't it? Um, you know, as. That that women don't feel that they can. Well, I guess you know there's there's honestly uh, different factors that underlie the numbers, but those numbers are a lot higher than you'd you'd hope them to be. And uh, you know what can we be doing and what can we be putting in place to um, to, to reduce that number? Um, and
1: say that's forty six percent higher than the rate of men leaving the industry.
0: Right. So it's so yeah. <laughs> it, it's
1: huge problem. Absolutely. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so um, proud and feel so privileged to be, uh, uh, um, you know, in my middle age and working in technology because I know that the the women who are early in their career in my team, that they can see that they have the potential for longevity in their careers.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Absolutely. It is such an yeah, interesting I'm- one like the yeah the leaky bucket of sorts, like you really can't hire your way out of a diversity gap. And I think there's this growing trend of of companies releasing their diversity figures, and that's awesome. But what I've never seen is is retention rates. And I think that would be such a powerful thing to have publicly available because that's that's really the proof. It's who's coming in and then from the leaky bucket, who's churning quite quickly because actually, you know, maybe you haven't stared into the face of the challenges that you have in your organization. Um, so I think that that would be quite a, a compelling, but also quite scary statistic for for some organisations to look into.
1: Yeah, very revealing, and the leading uh, the leading indicators on that too. Like looking at a heat map for people who are using tools like Culture Amp to do their engagement surveys, looking at a gender heat map to understand what the the early signals are to disengagement for for women in in our teams. Uh, the it's. I'm really proud to say that that the results that we just got back. It's the first time that I've um, looked at org-wide uh, agenda heat map of Culture Amp results and gone, "Hey, wow, we are we're providing um, as positive a qualitative experience for women in our technology team as we are for the men." Because uh, that's not been true uh, in in many of the other places that I've worked, and having to take those those um, those raw figures and uh, go to uh, you know, senior leadership in other organisations and say, I don't care how what the numbers are like in terms of the numbers of women in seats when I can show you quite clearly that the qualitative lived experience of women in technology at this organisation is significantly different from the lived experience of men.
2: I totally agree. I know uh, at a place where Kate and I both used to work um a similar experience where um as an engineer i I had uh, two female women leaders. Kate was one of them, and um, how inspiring that was for me personally to know that there was that path forward. But more than that, it was I possibly would have left engineering myself um, because uh, up until that point where those people in senior positions were visible to me. Um, I pretty much flew under the radar as much as I possibly could just to belong. So um, it really, that retention aspect is so critical. And I remember doing a study, uh, we were asked to to kind of produce this. How does a gender equality look? Um, And another woman and I, who was also an engineer, worked on that together and we were so dismissive. We were so sort of, oh yeah, we're fine. We've got about what comes in. So in terms of the funnel, that's the best we can do. Nobody took it up. Nobody said, "Hold on, why do all of these women leave?" Like there, there was virtually no woman engineer remaining as an engineer in the team. They would move into soft skill roles or just leave.
0: Out, out, out of curiosity, um, when you were seeing these these women that you were working on the side leave, um, were they? Was there any correlation between their reasons or did this, as you say, sort of like dismiss it a little bit? And um, yeah, what was your experience like from, from people leaving?
1: I don't think we're asking the right questions, to be honest. I think that um, in general, exit interviews are fairly formulaic um, and uh, I think it's uh, most organised... Make sure that exit interviews happen because we have a sense that oh yeah we know what the reasons are we don't need to dig into that right and missing opportunities to get really really good data to help us get better to help Mm -hmm. us better leaders to help us be better organisations and better technology teams. Um, I've in the past had a pretty hard line about every woman that leaves my technology team must have an exit interview um, because this is this is. Data that is so rich for to help me and the rest of the organisation work out what what could we do better, and
0: I think we're missing opportunities to learn. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's um, you know if you can try and pinpoint that that root cause, and if there's any way that you can identify areas to improve on that, you know, it's going to come from the women that are leaving, isn't it? At the end of the day, so um, yeah, definitely. uh, Definitely interesting. Um, you know, going back to those statistics, and obviously something that you know we all, all need to address uh, to try and reduce that number and um, bring bring a bit more.
1: Also, making sure that people who are delivering exit interviews are considered safe to the women who are leaving the organisation.
0: Absolutely,
1: and that they're, ex- they're they're not going to give the answers that they feel they're they're um, they're expected to give. Uh, that they can be honest and open rather than just I just want to get out of here if they've had a difficult experience it's fair yeah. cop for them to say you know what no I've had a great time see ya yeah, uh, so <laughs> yeah
2: absolutely
1: people in the room who can can you know make them feel supported and and listen to on the understanding that it's it's to help the women in the organisation and future women in the organisation to have a better experience.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that. It's about the incentive of the person doing that interview, right? It's uh, often on the other side of that interview. It's, uh, it does not feel like the, the incentive is to improve things for women necessarily. It's, it's you know, statistical. It's routine. Um, mm. It's if we do anything flagrantly wrong. Oh,
0: but nothing else. Yes, are we going to get sued? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that that is a, an underlying concern uh, in, in the back of your mind, isn't it? So, um, but uh, but yeah, not all all good. Um, okay, um, Beth, did did you have anything else else to add there or?
3: No, I, I was just reflecting on on exit interviews and, and i had a funny experience with exit interviews um as I was leaving my previous role and it was very much requested I was like happy to give feedback always happy to give feedback and it just it fell to the wayside um and I, I was thinking like the burden of responsibility that often falls on women to to be proactive in those situations um oh like I, I i it's incumbent on me to provide you with you know my laundry list of uh concerns or challenges and i do think there are so many opportunities, particularly for, for feedback across the entire employee life cycle, um, as I think that, you know, summarising someone's experience with a 30 minute interview for, you know, a tenured employee um, is not necessarily sufficient. And there should be a broader profile that has maybe tracked this person's uh, engagement over a period of time and been able to understand where, where those dips might have occurred, what, you know, what changes in the organisation might have led to that. Uh, instead of just looking at a very focused point in time, and then also particularly putting the burden again back on women to be the ones who are providing the the insights, the feedback, the recommendation, uh to, to make to make things better. So true. it can be exhausting.
1: Yeah, and in, and you're pushing up against that likability double bind too. Yeah. That that if I'm if I'm having to take the initiative to get my voice heard, then that's simply going to confirm some people's you know uh, unconscious exactly. biases that. But- I'm just a, you know, a a loud, annoying woman.
3: Screaky wheel.
2: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely the fear factor, right, as well. It's not just likability, although likability is a huge thing. It's also that fear factor of, um, you know, the gender thing where you're having to work so hard all the time. So if you say the wrong thing, uh, does that contribute to that, you know, does that validate that perspective that, yeah, as a woman you're this, you're, less capable and that's why you're suffering um, um, you have to be really careful that, that's the sense anyway you, you yeah you have
1: to be careful.
0: absolutely um that, that's it you, you've almost got to be, be careful with uh, you know you, you almost feel like you're you're treading on eggshells and you don't want to say the wrong thing in case it's taken the wrong way and there's uh i guess such a, a spotlight on it um at the moment that you, you do have to be as you say be very careful but um so on to, to the, the next question. So um, Emma, I know you, you wanted to speak about why as women do we not see ourselves as engineers when we try on an identity, when we're picking a career?
2: Yeah, uh, so this one has kind of plagued me for many years now, <laughs> just in that uh I started, when I moved into a leadership role, I started doing some courses to keep me close to the tools a little bit. There was this sort of fear factor on my side, to oh, if I become less technical, maybe my voice will be diminished somehow. Um, So I picked up courses to do and it was fascinating being in a university with all of these young people in my middle age and watching them, the difference between them. Um, firsthand was really good. So watching the women in these uh, technology-related courses and how they behaved and, like, in the first-year subjects, they would sit on the ground at exam time and talk to each other. Their bonding mechanism was, I'm, I'm so underprepared for this. I, I'm so going to fail. And the, the men would walk across and high-five each other and remain standing and talk <laughs> about how they didn't even have to show up to the exam because they've already passed. They've already nailed it. They're just looking for high distinctions. And so the difference in how they bond and how they gather meant that um, their voices, so women, and and I experienced this myself as an engineer, um, when you are pairing with somebody, uh, your language is, oh, I don't know, whereas uh, a man is, I'm generalising obviously, but going to look to you to express this level of absolute confidence and anything less than that is a flag. Um, So there's this immediate uh, feeling on my side where I don't understand. Like I've said the right things. This is usually how I connect. Um, Why are you turning away from me to to validate the answers with someone else? Um, So there's all of that uh, identity stuff that happens when you join as a woman. This is just my, obviously my experience, but watching it happen at university as well, watching these young women, and the numbers go down year after year in terms of the ratios of women to men. Um, and that sense of belonging that happens because you the greater the numbers of men around these young women, the less they felt uh, inclined to mingle. And you'd watch them again, like before exams, sitting in the corridors completely by themselves, not talking to anyone. Um, and so I, that's just for me. I think as an identity thing that Kate sort of touched on, like the people that you look to, um, you're looking around the room and you're thinking, I don't belong here. Um, so how do you see your career progressing like I was very fortunate and like I said the the women that I had in my career path um, who really went out of their way to help me understand that I had the freedom to succeed Um, but without that as an identity as a woman it's very hard to look into engineering and see yourself as yeah that I see myself as as an engineer or a leader in engineering um, and the response when you are a leader in engineering and a woman from the other women around you is oversized. It's it's really rewarding and beautiful, but um, you see them unfold and look the look of relief on their faces when they can talk to you about their experiences and their career opportunities. And they right. feel that, so, wow, there could be somebody here that would actually help me become
1: an engineer and a leader. It's not just that freedom to succeed, that, that you've got the skills and the experience to succeed.
2: Yeah. What? <laughs> of yeah, definitely. Um, and you just, that belief in yourself, that confidence that you get um, from validating it with other people around you, mm. it makes it harder when you don't have that because you don't necessarily uh, feel as comfortable in that group
3: it almost becomes yeah like this self-fulfilling prophecy like particularly on the negative side is it just cycles and as as soon as you believe it other people believe it too and then that that uh, spirals out um and I think that and it's a great book I, I read um a while ago about um it's a framework to you know to advance your career and one of them is do better and so like I think women really <laughs> index on that so women do an awesome job like crush it, support their teams, build a culture, but the other two, which is look better and connect better, like that look better part, like to me is is the foundation of that is your confidence. Like it's really hard to look good uh, if you don't actually believe that you are good to begin with. Yes. And it's such an interesting one because I think that that is, yeah, typically the areas where maybe like people who identify as women or just marginalised groups in general are like, well, how can I look good when no one looks like me? Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's so true. Mm-hmm. And I know exactly the book that you're talking about. Yeah. Um Patiasarello, plug. It's definitely not my idea, but it's a
1: great book. It is a great, great book. But sometimes there is that frustration that, hey, look better and, and in my head I'm like, why don't you just notice better? Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. Right? But you're working against all of those um generalizations, right? But this is another thing with that for me anyway, that um we have to work. I'm uh, being very uh Cliché, but we have to work so much harder because you you navigate, right? You navigate your worlds and your careers using the data that you have. And everybody does it. And if you don't see many women around you, you make assumptions around why that is. And so we as women have to work against those assumptions all the time mm-hmm. to say, it's I'm not one of you because I'm less capable or even because I'm more capable. I'm just here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a very interesting experience that you know you you've shared there with your um your time at, at uni um and putting yourself through the courses and it um it it, it, it kind of in, in my head I, I saw a bit of correlation between the um the sti- statistic that everyone always talks about you always see it on linkedin and it's about um typic- typically women won't apply for a job role unless they tick pretty much all the boxes whereas men you the like very stereotypically here but men will be like they'll see something like yeah i can do that go on I'll, I'll i'll apply give it a go um and obviously, you know we we as recruiters we all, always encourage um software engineers to you know, even if you don't tick every single box, still put your put yourself forward. It's worth having that conversation because at the end of the day, like a job prescription, it's just a shopping list, really. And um, you know, it doesn't tell a full story, it doesn't tell a, tell a full picture. Um, so, yeah, just it's um, very, very interesting to hear what you know y- your experience was like there. Where um, I guess are, are women doubting themselves more? Um, is it what do you think it sort of stems from?
3: I, I don't know uh, if I'd necessarily say, say doubting, but I think that women have to trade on proof, whereas men can trade on potential. Men get to look at, here's the vision, and here's, here's, you're investing in me, whereas women have to justify their previous experience. And I, I felt like I learned to cheat code when I learned that you didn't have to uh, uh, fit all of the criteria to apply. I saw eligibility criteria when, when I was applying for jobs. And thought that that was like, I thought I would, you know, a gnome would come out of the computer and, you know, boot me out because they knew that I didn't have that skill. <laughs> um, and then understanding that that was, you know, those codified rules that actually don't apply, yeah. um, they're, they're not real. Um, that was such a revelation for me. It was like, oh, if you apply for a job where you meet all the criteria, then what the hell are you going to learn? Like, exactly. you, you're going to give everything to the organization. That's great for them. They'll say yes, but you're, you're not going to learn.
0: For sure. Absolutely. but even
1: in those those the I mean I don't know if you've seen that um, nine box grid framework of, of uh, performance and potential where that's being used a lot to evaluate people's performance and so at first blush you think great they're looking at potential this is going to be a, a really good level this is going to be great for women but there's recent research that indicates that women's potential is being underscored <laughs> It's a surprise. So you know, it's 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 a really complex issue um, that is, of course, in some ways bound to the societal expectations of women and the the expectations that we're more humble, that we're more um, apologetic, and and all those those really heavy societal um, stereotypes that are placed on us. But then it's there's so much that is dependent on the perception of the people in power who are still mostly men um, actually calling out their own unconscious biases and making sounder judgments.
2: There's also that, um, I totally agree with you, Kate, um, 100%. That's There's that element of risk-taking as well when you are ticking those boxes, it's... Uh, that, you know, it's similar to the, watching the men at university high-five each other. There's a huge risk in that, right? The other person could go, you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> they don't care. Whereas there's no risk in a woman saying to the other person, oh, I'm going to fail. Then they're, they're not going to say, oh, you're wrong about yourself. And let that be my, that's lovely. It's a positive mistake to make. There's no risk. Um, but when you are applying for those jobs and you take that risk, men tend to take more risk.
1: It's um it's been uh, in the last probably five seven years, I've tried to really conscientiously build a, a career council of, of senior women uh, around me. Um, lucky enough to have Emma in my career council. Um, it's just so in those moments where I'm thinking thinking about a new opportunity or exploring, you know going for a promotion or something like that and I know that I'm getting in my own head about it um and I'm oh hey that that person is clearly more suitable um I'm not ready for the risk to have that career council of experienced women who know me well to just call me out on my bullshit and to, to give me the nudge that I need to step forward into that opportunity can absolutely validate that I remember a moment
2: in time where watching Kate who is magnificent at her job I uh, come to my desk and say oh they've just made me ahead of these multiple units and <laughs> it's really scary and I'm like man look at your competition <laughs> you've got nothing to worry about no no shade but just knowing her capabilities, um, yeah, so watching and having those, and Kate has done it so many times for me in my life um, mm. to have those people around you to, to, to remind you of mm. who you are.
0: That's awesome.
1: I encourage all the women in my team to find that career council for themselves, whether it's here at Dovetail or beyond or, you know, even not in the, the tech industry, to surround themselves with a, a group of women who even though they might not call it out in themselves will call it out in each other
3: Mm. i really love that idea like i and i haven't heard it called a a, um i think i've called it like a board of advisors but i like your name better so i'm going to steal that um but i like the idea of like appointing people into different roles because like uh, things that I found useful, like I sometimes want the challenger role because I'm like, cool, okay, I know I need my hype person and I can go to them and be like, yep, just pump my tires because I'm <laughs> feeling probably um, not as confident, but having someone who is in that challenger role, who you really trust, who can give you like candid feedback and, and play devil's advocate, like that for me has been the most useful person that I've had because it means that you can, you can take feedback without being defensive. It's from someone who, who comes from a place of trust but can, again, call you on your bullshit but in a slightly different way. Um Lara. yeah. I've had someone play that role yeah. for me, which I've appreciated. Kate's definitely known that for me. Uh, Lara Hogan calls it your
1: um manager Voltron. So, <laughs> That's even better. Yeah. So that and and she's got I, I mean I encourage you, all, all the listeners to look at Lara Hogan's website. She's got this great template for putting together your manager Voltron. So, you know, if you're really fortunate <laughs> you have a a a, a people manager who's going to tick all those boxes for you but odds are that's not possible um and so how what are the things that you need to get from the people around you and and whether or not you tell them that they're they're on your manager vault on or not, you have the opportunity to really consciously do what you've just said there Beth and and say okay this person is I, I need them to play the role as my challenger I need this person to play the role as they might shift over
0: time Awesome. No, that uh, sounds like a a, a great um, a great thing that you've got going there. I was actually trying to think there like relating it back to uh, myself and obviously uh, our company. I think that's something that we, we'll have to try and incorporate into uh, into our weekly weekly routine. Um, pump everyone's tires up and uh, and sort of you know build that build that confidence up. Um, <laughs> sounds awesome. Um, so moving on to the um, to, to the next question here. So in a world where women often face higher consequences for failure and see less upside from success, how can we as leaders and organizations reshape our approach to risk assessment and, and also encourage intentional risks?
3: And and Emma, I think you highlighted some really interesting points around the, the gender dynamic of, of risk, uh, particularly. And I think that also, the the rhetoric that people use around risk aversion and how it applies to women is probably um, maybe overengineered or, or or inherently biased itself. But I mean, we can yeah we could talk about <laughs> rhetoric for days, but um, it might get might get too meta for, for uh, listeners within an hour. Um, but like, I do think like wanted to preface first that i think this is such an important topic like just talking about diversity and technology in general and something that does deserve more airtime not just in like a a special feature but throughout um throughout any dialogue um and you know i think the reasons for that are pretty clear like everyone knows diversity of thought means more innovation it's better products for everyone um but and having myself stepped into the startup space what i've somewhat realized is that the future is somewhat being outsourced to like a quite a homogenous group of people um and that is the kind of people who quite typically also make podcasts um and there's really strong evidence to to suggest (laughs) that in the products that we use every day sorry no offense Henry. (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's all right (laughs) safe space um but yeah in terms of the products that we use every day like you can see it daily and and Caroline Perez has this awesome book Invisible Woman where she highlights some of these products and you know some of them are mildly frustrating it's like oh yeah that's why my giant iPhone that's designed for man hands like makes it so difficult for me to scroll sure that's frustrating but you know the more concerning ones like a crash test dummy that's modeled on a 50th percentile male that means that the likelihood of women being injured or killed in a car crash is higher then you start to realize oh shit this is really serious um, that outsourcing is just like not 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 acceptable, and it needs to change. And so, seeing more representation of diverse groups, be it be it women, be it anyone who's not currently accurately represented in the people who develop technology technology products, um, needs to needs to change. And so, that might be startups, that might be enterprises. There's a role to play for every person in in designing good products. Um, that was just a caveat to, to begin with as to why I, I feel like this is really important. But if we look at risk specifically, like I do think there's an important differentiation to make between risk and something that's like chance or circumstance, um, something that you've you know fallen into or been thrusted into perhaps. Like to me, risk requires intentionality. And I think the the idea that there is a degree of like individual responsibility, and that's a, a responsibility that maybe we don't often realise or accept, um, and, uh, you know, then it is in- incumbent on us as, as women to play a, an active ownership role and to engage in things like active career planning. Um, and, you know, that doesn't always need to be bold leaps, but it does need to be considered reflection um, around where you want to go and, and what sequencing might be required to get there. Um, and yeah, it doesn't always need to be these these massive, you know, career changes, but what, you know, um, incremental steps might get you towards an, an outcome um, and they might be smaller, riskier steps to, to build that habit. Um, with that being said, like there is responsibility on leaders and organisations. It can't just be an individual burden alone. Um, and one thing that I was like reflecting on is, like, is it worth like thinking quite critically about what holds back people who like, aren't white and male from being successful when they take on these big risks? Um, And you'll see, you know, underrepresented people who are then like teetering on on what is a a glass cliff where they've been handed a very unstable leadership role uh, where chances of success are almost limited before they've even begun. Like Julia Gillard, Christian Stubbins, like there's so many obvious examples um, that that we as women uh, have to to, to look at. And it it, again is this sort of self-prophecy that it creates a view that women aren't suitable for leadership roles. Um, what does that mean? Is there some good news there? I think that it means as leaders, it's really important to give people like time and tools to be successful and find the right opportunities or projects that can develop your female engineers and don't always parachute in the person who you know is a safe set of hands into a objectively bad situations, um, like, yeah, don't hand them this proverbial dumpster fire and then get surprised where they inevitably get burnt out. Um, so I, I, I do feel quite strongly about that in terms of finding the right opportunities as an individual responsibility, but it's also um, the responsibility of leaders to to support women. Um, and I think the other call out is that there is this, yeah, disproportionate um, consequence of failure for women and fewer success successes when when the upside pays off um and like i've thought about that quite uh deeply because i'm tra- as i'm transitioning into into a startup and so looking and staring into the face of that i'm like well what are the outcomes here you know i i build my own business and it is likely a failure 90% of startups fail that's the most likely path um the the other hand you know bits of success and great we we win big uh i think the biggest challenge then that i saw was I can keep doing what I'm doing and that's going to be the absolute worst outcome because I'm not going to be living in a way that's in line with my values. I'm not going to learn. And so seeing failure as this opportunity to learn and grow, obviously, again, it's got to be contextual. Like if you're taking um, a risk and it, you know, you're know you a database engineer and you are had to um, drop a bunch of tables, don't do that. Uh, contextual <laughs> risk is really important. Uh, but I think that, that idea of being, not just being comfortable, in fact, with failure, but like normalizing it, accepting that, a failure is a, a good thing because it's an opportunity to learn. And I think that that's really hard in, in today's culture, like sitting comfortably with that failure. Um, and so like I, one of the things that I've reflected on quite deeply is how do you create that environment where people are happy to accept and embrace their flaws and people of, of any gender? Um, you know, communicating failures openly. A church of failure is a um, good good um, tool that that I've seen a lot of teams use, which is you know everyone talks about celebrating their wins how do you talk about something that went disastrously wrong um i've heard so many so many great war stories and people have just like learned incredible things from it um so yeah i think again there's an an individual element there but then there's also a broader macro perspective and that is that you know women who take risks and, and then see the fallout afterwards often experience worse outcomes uh than men and i think that that stigma that, that still persists today which is you know a woman who takes a risk and fails is is incompetent or is a loser and a man who does it is this daring you know innovator um how can we rewire some of those assumptions that people just have you know baked into to their points of view over many many years um is, is something that I, i'm i'm incredibly keen to contribute to and I think yeah as a as an entrepreneur who's likely to fail I think that I can put my hand up um to to taking that that first step hmm. I love that bit
1: I think that there's such a vibe that men succeed or fail as individuals and women succeed or fail on behalf of the <laughs> <our> entire gender <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah it's a tough one, and personally, I try to um, help my team feel comfortable with failure by screwing up a lot. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, more seriously, that that um, you referred to that there, best of of making it clear that the it's a most things are two way doors. So if you're giving someone an opportunity and there's risk there, rather than saying here's an opportunity to Succeed or fail, the one-way door, off you go. Yeah. How do you turn that into uh, into something that, with really clearly, is a two-way door? That if it that stepping back through the door is not a failure. So you know when um, when I anybody is has is given an opportunity here in engineering, I try to make it clear that the you know, if it if it doesn't end up being successful for you, um, then that then changing path is not a failure it's 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 just a shift in opportunity but specifically for the women i will actually say okay when are we going to evaluate how this is working out for you let's put just quietly between you and me a 6 months reminder in the calendar so we can sit down and have a conversation about you know how 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 you're feeling how what your success is looking like and, you know, more often than not, it's it's that's all it takes for them to feel brave enough to step through the door. And then by the time you get to that six month reminder, they're like, I can't believe I ever doubted that I could do this.
3: <laughs> I really love that because, yeah, it takes away that like that expectation. Like so many of these things, like, none of them are irreversible, right? It's not like yeah. you. you Yeah, it's a, a path of no return. I think that, that just takes away the, the built up fear that, that lives in your mind. I really like that
2: yeah and especially in technology right like it's almost an expectation that the things that we try 50 percent of the time won't work um so yeah yeah it is frustrating to see that that as women we definitely feel like we need that support network at work before we take those risks
0: for sure absolutely um and so i guess we we've Covered it a little bit in some of the questions and answers that we've that we've spoken about so far, but um, what what would you say is holding women back from applying for you know more senior roles and senior positions, and how can other seniors within the industry help with the process? <laughs> Any thoughts?
1: <laughs> I mean, uh, answering the question about what's holding women back is like we've only got what twenty minutes left. It's <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> <laughs> a big question but what can what can we um, as leaders and as more senior um, women oh, but also not just women I think it's super important that that uh, we take responsibility and accountability for supporting um, women to grow their careers, to take risks to, um, to understand that they have opportunities and potential and, jo- and longevity in this industry.
2: I agree with that. I, I know that where I am currently at Quilla, I have that in my manager, in, in Ben Mackey, and he, um, he very subtly at times can just offer this uh, encouragement to me and, and do it broadly so that I feel safe in that environment so i feel confident so i know that when i am speaking it's not like he's sitting there and he's and walks away essentially so i know that i have his backing but that's really important to me um i mean i've previously had it obviously with kate and and another woman who is a leader for me as well but it it does in in the environment i'm in at the moment especially um, with Ben as my manager. It has, it's been so beneficial to have him sort
1: of offer up this this support. What I think
3: that's think- such an Oh, sorry, you okay?
1: No, Beth, please.
3: I was going to say, I think it is so, and particularly like looking at more senior roles as well, like the importance of that kind of sponsorship and that it's not necessarily the idea that you're going to, you know, peruse through your internal job board or even an external job board, find the perfect role and apply and that's it's that linear process. Like I think particularly for more senior roles, you need to create that like almost like asymmetric information advantage where someone knows you in the organization or in your networks and that they, they, they you know ideally are, are recommending you when the role comes up because the likelihood is is that the decisions that are being made about your career are happening when you're not in the room and you're not there to you know write out the perfect you know do the best coding uh, test Write the best interview response. Like it'll be how people perceive you and, you know, advocate for for the work that you do. And so I think I didn't I took that for granted very much so early in my career and undervalued the importance of particularly of having an external network. I was like, well, cool, I work here. And so everyone knows me and they know that I'm broadly quite good at my job and that I'm, you know, not an asshole on Tuesdays. Like it's it's that's not good <laughs> enough. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's pretty much I was going to talk about that sponsorship piece as well. Yeah. Because I think that um, it's wonderful to see so many um, senior men in, in our industry being willing to be mentors um, for women earlier in their career. But I'd love to see more of them stepping up as sponsors. Yeah. Um, yep. I was very fortunate. Exactly. With my CTO at, at at Tyro to have him actively sponsor me into opportunities um, at and beyond the organisation, and uh, it's it takes it takes a, a level of, of self awareness and bravery to do that for for um, for anyone. But I think that that I'd love to see men in industry
0: being really conscientious about that. Absolutely. Well, um, I think that just about covers because uh, that covers everything for today. Um, obviously, you know this is, is definitely something that we could have uh, could have gone on for for um, an awfully long time. Aw- awfully was probably the wrong word to use there, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, like I uh, really appreciate um, you you attending today and. Um, you know sharing your your experiences and your wisdom and obviously you know how we can um, look to, to improve things moving forward and and really grow uh, the the number of women that stay in the industry and and also um, that that you know coming into the industry and just staying in for longer so um definitely something that I'm sure a lot of the listeners will be able to to benefit from and hopefully implement within their companies the the other um leaders in the industry that, uh, that listen to this so so if you're listening take note fix everything today that's it absolutely the, the world's cured <laughs> but uh awesome well uh, well thanks for joining this uh, it's been great to have you have you on board